Did some stones, saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul. I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you. I went wandering uh, Heart of the Matter 200th episode. Praise God. Well, it's uh, good to be here from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, our 200th show. If you have family or friends who can't watch the program uh, on television, they can go to www.hotm.tv and watch it from anywhere, live streaming video in the world. Um, Squatters Pub after the program tonight, that's at about 150 West and 300 South in downtown Salt Lake City. They have a whole back room there for, uh, it's a kind of a commemorative uh, thing. We used to do a thing called Pastor in the Pub, and we would go over there after the show and sit and talk. That was in the early years, so we invite all of you uh, to do that. Um, we, uh, who would have thought 200 programs ago, not me. I, I honestly don't even remember doing the programs. I, it's just four years have passed, the flights, everything. Uh, the Lord has uh, blessed the ministry greatly. And we are so grateful to just be a part of it and, and what he has done in, help, in helping people understand the differences between biblical Christianity and Mormonism. Um, really, let me just, because it's a 200th show, just let me give you a quick summary of what, how it happened, if you've never seen the program before. And what occurred was uh, I was LDS for 40 years, and in 1997, I was uh, void of life at all. And I cried out to God at the side of the road because of a radio pastor who I later learned was Charles Stanley and who I actually later was able to go back to his uh, place in Atlanta, Georgia and meet him. But uh, uh, side of the road, I asked God to change my life. And by the end of the day, he had greatly. Uh, I wrote a book called uh, Born Again Mormon, much to the behest of almost everybody involved. And uh, my uh, wife and I uh, self-published that book. 2,500 copies in the garage for a few years doing nothing, and then a, um, made contact with a television station manager's wife through the internet who heard of our ministry. She was one of the uh, 10 emails we got that year about the ministry, and she uh, said, my husband has a television station in Salt Lake City. Would you like to come up and be a guest on a program? And so uh, I said, yeah, and that was on a guy named Greg Johnson's. Uh, show and, and we did a program. We offered a free book to the first 10 callers who wanted I was a born or a born again Mormon is what we called it then. 
And we got 130 or 120 calls requesting the book. And so the ma manager said, do you want to try your own program? And, uh, and I said, well, of course, we'll try it. And, and we did on March 6th of uh, 2006. That was our first show. And it was a, a disaster. But uh, the Lord uh, used it. And um, so we have a kind of a brief video that we want to show you. And it kind of goes through and shows you a few highlights. You're going to notice a change in weight. I go back and forth. And a change in my hair for some reason. So see what you think. It started with my being born again on the roadside in 1997, and I remained a faithful Latter-day Saint for the next four years. Wrote a book, Born Again Mormon, and was invited to be a guest on a show called In Focus. And the response was uh, overwhelming. As a result of that broadcast, I was invited by the station manager to host my own live call-in show, and six months later found myself digging out the materials for the set from a dumpster. And uh, I stood there that night with the cameraman going five, four, three, two, one. Hi, welcome to Heart of the Matter. I'm Sean McCraney, the host. We experienced some slight technical difficulties. TV20. 801-973-TV20. But we continued to preach the word challenging Mormon doctrine. This is a front page uh, article on polygamy. No, I know Mormons today True Latter-day Saints don't practice polygamy, but they still have Doctrine and Covenants 132 as part of their canon. They still practice spiritual polygamy, and most Latter-day Saints, if you're honest, believe that the practice will continue on into the eternities. That has to go. The result has been much fruit. You wanna, you wanna offer your life to the Lord right now? I do. Then let's do it, brother. What's your what's uh, your first name? Glenn. This same Glenn is currently attending Calvary Chapel Pastoral School of Ministry in Southern California, getting equipped to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to recognize himself verbally as a sinner, and he asks, Lord, that you give him spiritual regeneration, you give him new life. You said that you must be born again. Glenn wants to be born again, so we ask you that you'll just show him that you will give him new spirit. You, will for, you have forgiven him of all his sins, past, present, and future, and you will be with him as a strength and guide. Glenn, you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I do. Glenn, do you ask, ask Heavenly Father to forgive you of your sins? I ask Heavenly Father to forgive me of my sins. I ask Jesus to take over my life completely, and I will do whatever he wants me to do. Jesus, take over my life. I will do what you will have me do. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. We invited guests. Just look at these two guys. That's Kevin Kennington, and this is Kevin right here, and this is Mike right here. Very special guests. The first one is my wife. I just had one question for Mary, if I may ask her, please. All right. If she noticed the regenerated spirit in you, or if there's anything you're more uh, loving, more kind. Right, Mary. Complete and total reformation, total extremes. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome Sandra Tanner to the show. <laughs> Thank you. 
And we're often invited to share about the ministry across the nation. Yeah. You know, what an awesome and exciting thing that you are doing right now. Thanks so much. It is very exciting. We're seeing lots of fruit. Lots of people come out of Mormonism uh, because of a relationship with the Lord. We've had lights fall from the ceiling. The Lord God. We've been rebuked more times than we can count. We're going to John O'Fallon in Illinois. He's LDS and he's a first-time caller. John, you're on Heart of the Matter. By the power of the Holy Melchizedek Priesthood, I rebuke you. John, with the priesthood that you have, that you're taking from Jesus Christ, the only high priest that we have, am I supposed to be afraid of this thing that you're trying to throw down on me, this false priesthood? I, I am a high priest, John. You are not a high priest. Jesus is the only high priest there is, John O'Fallon. You are misled, my brother, and you're going to be sorely surprised when you stand before him and you try to say, I'm a high priest. He's going to say, I'm the high priest, and there is no other. I'm sorry, my friend, you are misled, and I say this in love. You can know freedom. You don't know it sitting in that bishopric. I've been there. But above all, we have been greatly blessed to serve the Lord. Let me answer your question. Why do I do what I do? My wife, my brother, my sister, my parents, my in-laws, my children even on by record, my friends, the people of this state have all been beguiled and have not been represented with truth by leaders that they trust. And so I go to the time and energy to try to help them, and guess what? We see people who come out and they have a relationship with Jesus Christ directly, and they just put all this stuff behind them. And what they say to us is, we are free. Thank you for helping us be free. This is why we go to this trouble in Africa. It, it just amazes me that you just don't help people. I help people. I try to my best of my ability. You have this television show, and you're reaching out to people, and you're talking to them, and you're just putting people down instead of reaching into their hearts and really, really helping them and helping them to find the Lord. No, I actually do help them find the Lord. We have the emails and correspondence to show it. I want you to know I love you, and I do this because I love you. And I do it because I love my brothers and sisters who are LDS. And I, I, I understand your heart. Trust me, I was there 40 years. I understand your heart. It's like in Romans chapter 10 where Paul says, they have a heart for God, but they think they can please him by their own works and righteousness. You can't, Lynette. You can't. This is why I do what I do. My rusty So we uh, praise God uh, truly for using a, I was going to say jackass, but donkey like myself and, uh, and letting the ministry grow because it truly has been him. We thank all of you who have helped us throughout the years. And with that, let's have a word of prayer. Uh, God in heaven, we need you in all things. Uh, we need you in our failures and our weaknesses. We need you in our strengths. We praise you and ask you to be with our uh, viewing audience uh, here and in television land, YouTube, streaming, archives. We pray for our staff. We pray for all the technical difficulties that come and pray that you will just step in and make things work, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Years ago, I was invited by a good friend to have lunch in the LDS cafeteria uh, headquarters, and we got our food and sat at a table, and as we talked, uh, suddenly the noisy cafeteria I sensed in, in behind me started to grow quiet. And my, it was, my, my friend kept talking, and uh, he didn't notice that the people uh, were quiet, and then he got silent, and he kind of looked across uh, the thing, and a man named Dallin Oaks... Uh, he, the LDS believe he is an apostle, was uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ, like Peter, James, and John were apostles, was walking through the cafeteria. And my friend got all excited, and he said in a really low whisper, uh, do you see him? Do you see him? And I said, who? And he, he motioned like with his eyes like over there, and I looked, and he said, Elder Oaks. And I turned, and I looked, and uh, as he kind of contemplatively passed through the sea of, of people who were kind of bowing almost, and I said, hey, I'm going to go talk to him. And uh, my friend who works in the church office building, he grabbed my wrist and he said, no, he said, don't. Uh, he said, we're not allowed. He said, only if he speaks to us first. And uh, I said, you're kidding me, right? And uh, he, said, he said, Sean, um, he's an apostle. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I said, which is exactly why I want to go and talk to him. And, uh, but the look on my friend's face kind of pleadingly said, don't do it. So I sat down, uh, left only to dream of what our dialogue could have possibly been. An apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, really? Well, while I served my LDS mission, um, one of my favorite lines to prove that Mormonism was true and the only true church on the face of the earth was that it claimed to have 12 apostles and that this made Mormonism exactly like the church that Jesus established on the earth. In the 17 points of the true church, a pamphlet that promotes Mormonism as being the only true church on the face of the earth, it reads, the true church must have a foundation of prophets and apostles. The premise of this statement is taken right out of the Bible uh, taken from it, but completely twisted in its contextual uh, meaning relative to what the scripture, the Bible says about apostles. Let me explain. In Ephesians 2.19 of the New Testament, it says, quote, the redeemed are of God's household and are built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. I think it's important to consider the context of this passage. Speaking to the believers who were once sinful Gentiles, okay? Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, 11 through 20, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, that at that time you were without Christ. So he says to these sinful Gentiles, remember, at one time you were without Christ. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. That was the Gentile state. He goes on, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the hatred, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from two, thus making peace 
that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting the death to the hatred. It gets a little heavy theologically. I won't explain it, but let me just get to the point now. Paul goes on, and he came and preached peace to those of you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. And now he continues and makes the point. Now, therefore, he says, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being joined together, grows into a holy temple of the Lord, in whom you are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. What that says is the foundation was laid. Believers make up a, the, the body that God dwells in now, and this becomes the building or the holy temple now that Christ has done what he's done. Is the gospel of Jesus Christ built upon a foundation of apostles and prophets? Certainly. Read the Old Testament and the gospels. This is the foundation that was laid. Now, if you build a house and you start with a foundation, of course, and once that foundation has been laid and it's cured, you would then begin to build your house upon that, the framework, the plumbing, the electrical, and then the interior and everything else. How often do you go back and re-pour that foundation? Um, never, if it was poured right the first time. How many times does the foundation of a household or a building or an office structure need to be laid? Once, it's the foundation. The building, often, uh, the building upon the foundation is growing forever. You might redecorate, you might remodel, you might paint or add aluminum siding to the building, God forbid, but the foundation remains in place unless it's faulty or cracked. Did Jesus lay a faulty foundation? No, he built it upon prophets and apostles with him being the chief cornerstone. And this is a solid place, but there's more. We know that once the foundation was laid, it was laid permanently, once and forever. And this is how we know this. This is really important to the topic. We know it from the Greek language, all right? The word used here, which is the participle, apoikodo methentes, sorry about my pronunciation, in the proper syntax is translated as having been built, okay? Um, not continuing um, now that it's been laid, but never being restored, having forever been built. It's an aorist, aorist passive participle referring to a past action. And in this specific case, it is an action that has been fully completed. The Greek language, a Greek scholar will tell you this completely. It's been done. My friends, the LDS church system constantly uproots and demolishes the early Christian foundation, which Jesus laid permanently, by replacing it over and over and over again. Now listen to this description closely. They replace the foundation with unqualified men. This is really important in our discussion of apostles. These apostles who are in the LDS church today, all the way back to 1835, they are unqualified completely as apostles. 
Well, what do you mean unqualified? How could you say that, Sean? I mean, the LDS proudly state, they are the most qualified men on earth. They're judges and they're surgeons and they're prominent lifelong faithful members of the church, educated, articulate, astute in the ways of the world. In the first place, the qualifications, the LDS men who call themselves apostles are not anything like the qualifications of the early apostles. Jesus could have chosen successful men of his day. Jesus could have uh, uh, picked the educated, the lawyers, the doctors, the scholars, but no, who did he pick? He picked common fishermen. He picked hated tax collectors. He, paid it, he, he, he picked men who were all from a similar community, who were agrestic in their lifestyle, who lived off their labor of their own hands. I would love to see, love to see. I would pay everything that I have, which is not much, but I would pay everything to see one of those fishermen sitting at a table with the so-called apostles of the LDS church up there on the third 30th floor of their office building. I mean, can you imagine the disconnect? Ah, matey, uh, hey, Elder Holland, pass some of that bread over here. You're going to eat that? Oh, gonna eat, can I use your butter knife too? Elder Holland's all, oh, uh, you know. Uh, I, I, I know they weren't pirates. That was, that was my, that's the way I had fishermen talking. But just imagine those well-suited men sitting there with their portraits behind them in their leather chairs and in walks Peter, you know, and, and, and smelling like fish and nets and having done the work of the Lord. And these guys are saying, we're apostles like you, Peter. Anyway, it was not their worldly stature or successful lives that qualified them as apostles. Besides their humility and willingness to follow Jesus, it was a number of other factors. In 1 Corinthians 9.1, Paul says, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? There is the first qualifier of being an apostle. An eyewitness account of Jesus Christ the Lord. When the apostles sought to replace Judas with somebody to continue on as a personal witness, which was prophesied that it would occur, and this is in part why they did it, they looked for an individual, which Acts chapter 1 says, quote, had companied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us, and must be ordained to be a witness with, uh, with us of his resurrection. So they said when Judas killed himself and they were going to replace, they said, we got to find somebody who was with us all the time that Jesus came in and came out from John the Baptist's ministry all the way up until he ascended. That is somebody who qualifies to be the next apostle, okay? So Jesus established his church upon the apostles who, as Luke said, have seen him and he went in and out, watched Jesus walk in and out, and as Peter said, were witnesses of his resurrection. So the first biblical rule for being an apostle is they were firsthand witnesses of Jesus Christ, all right? The second is each of the apostles of the Lord received their call to that office by Jesus himself. Second qualifier, Luke 6, 13, it says, And when it was day, Jesus called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom he named apostles. In the calling of Paul, 
The same was true, Galatians 1.1. Paul, it says, an apostle not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So we have that qualifier. They were personally called by Jesus to be these apostles. Third, the apostles had to be infallibly inspired. Um, 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as the word of truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. So you see, it was essential that these apostles were infallibly inspired when they operated the early church and when they wrote what they wrote. They had to write what would be consistent with the rest of scripture, infallibly inspired, okay? This is why Jesus gave them in-person training to the 12 when he was on the earth. He taught them and trained them what he wanted them to do with his church. There was no passed down office of apostleship to people who weren't specifically called by Jesus. Finally, uh, the final biblically established uh, qualification for an apostle was they had to work miraculous miracles. Listen to what the word says about the apostle after Jesus, apostles, after Jesus ascended into heaven. In Mark 16, 9, it says, So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following them. In Acts 5.12, it says, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. In Luke, it, uh, Luke said of Paul in Acts 19.11, And God wrought special miracles by the hand of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out from them. What that's saying is that Paul's power to heal was so miraculous in the early church that they would take uh, uh, handkerchiefs, and those handkerchiefs, sick people would touch them and be healed by their faith alone in the power of that apostle. And Peter, actually, they say in Acts chapter 5, that when he passed by, people would say being in his shadow was enough to cure a disease and heal him. All right, this is the kind of power. All of this results um, from um, them being called by Jesus Christ and doing what uh, they were supposed to do. They are the only authoritative teachers of Christian doctrine. And um, so in light of all this, I want to know a few things about the Mormon apostles. All right, ready. Of the hundred or so self-proclaimed LDS apostles since Joseph Smith supposedly restored the true church back to the earth, have any of them, any of them, said, I have seen Jesus Christ with my own eyes. I am a special witness who has seen him, okay? And in reality, a truer question is, have all of them laid claim to actually seeing Jesus? Because they all say they're apostles. Have all of them said, I see he has come to me and I have seen him. That's a special witness. Second, have each and every one of them received their apostolic call from Jesus? Can they say Jesus himself came to me and said, I want you as my apostle, the one I'm sending forth? Can they say that? They don't say that. 
They don't say they've seen him. Have all the LDS apostles' professions been infallible? Of their professions of faith. The LDS apostles butcher their professions. They say stuff that is so fallible throughout the history of the LDS church, and yet they still think they have the right to call themselves apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, what miracles have they done? What miracles are they doing to show that they truly are apostles of the Lord? I think it's important to realize that the word apostle and the office of apostle are two different things. Apostle, the word, it just means a person who has been sent. It's a messenger. The word of God, the Bible, even describes, calls Jesus an apostle because he was sent from the Father. So in that sense, it's not the office of apostle. It's just someone who was sent. But it's generally described as a body of disciples who were entrusted with the early organization of the church to disseminate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Twice in the New Testament, the word messenger is assigned to them. But remember, and this is important, they were firsthand witnesses of the Lord Jesus and his resurrection. None of the apostles ever hesitated to share that they were his personal witness. None of them ever hesitated, all right? We have seen him, he lives, we testify of him, we've walked with him, we've talked with him. That's what these apostles do. And they all, except for John the Beloved, were martyred. They lost their lives uh, because of their very verbal and vocal testimony of what they had witnessed. Uh, now, how many of the LDS apostles stand and state that they have seen the resurrected Lord with their own eyes? This is an essential filling to the office of uh, apostle. Uh, no, but what they do is they walk around and they look holy and unapproachable, and they allow this inferential guessing game to occur among the, the members. Uh, make me a fool, Elder Holland, Elder Oaks, Elder Packer. You come and tell the world in your next general conference that Jesus Christ himself appeared to you, and you've seen him, and that he personally called you, not some uh, committee who called you because you make enough money and you've done success, you were successful in your business. But Jesus Christ him, himself made you an apostle. But you don't do that. You play nuance games with us. You don't wink. I mean, you wink and you kind of say, well, you know, I know, I know. Uh, tell us plainly that you have seen our Lord. Or perhaps more importantly, tell us plainly that you haven't. Uh, please. And if you haven't seen him with your eyes, he still has a body, you know. Uh, you've been deceiving millions of people by walking around and claiming that you're one of his apostles today. Uh, not being an actual uh, witness is only one reason the LDS apostles are not true apostles. Uh, the LDS defenders use the fact that Judas Iscariot was replaced by Matthias as evidence that the office of apostle was supposed to continue on as the apostles died. Joseph claimed to have restored Jesus' original church back to the earth. The LDS have a revolving quorum of 12 apostles uh, that keeps, keeps, has been there since 1835. Now, the first apostles within Mormonism were not called by Jesus personally. They were uh, called by the three witnesses to the Book of Mormon. And they're the ones who established the first quorum of apostles. 
Um, one of the first things Jesus did in establishing his church was to call his apostles so that he could train them and teach them. Uh, think about this, my friends. Joseph Smith didn't have apostles in his church till five years after he started it in 1830. It was 1835 when he actually brought the apostles in because he was piecemealing this thing together. And then what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4.9 is very important, and then we'll open up the phones. He wrote, For I think that God has set forth us the apostles last. Okay? As it were, as we were appointed unto death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels, and to men. Those 12 men, or those 11 men, uh, and then add Paul back in, 12, they were made a spectacle to this world. They were martyred. They were brutally killed, hung upside down, crucified upside down, beheaded, boiled in oil, they think James was. Dallin Oaks, you ready, buddy? I mean, are you willing to do it, Dallin? Or will it get your, your, uh, your suit filthy? I mean, I know it sounds harsh and disrespectful, but you're disrespectful to what the word of God says about who the apostles were and are. And you let this facade go on. Why don't you be a man, grow a set, and tell the world that you're not? You won't. These apostles, they, let, they shed their blood for their cause, and they gave their life. And instead of being uh, revered and, and bowed to and not spoken to, they were martyred and made a spectacle. And then there's the simple numbers to consider. Listen to this final point. I've got to say it. If LDS apostles are the same apostles as, as Jesus chose, explain that the book of Revelation 21:14, why it states that there's a wall around God's heavenly city that is supported by 12, quote, 12 foundations, and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. It doesn't say that that heavenly foundation is supported by pillars with the names of the 100 apostles that were called to be the same apostles uh, in this day and age for the Mormon church. It says the foundation of the heaven is supported by uh, 12 pillars, 12, okay? Think your name's going to be on those pillars, Elder Iring, right between Peter and James? Even the foundation of heaven, not just the church of Jesus, but the foundation of heaven is built upon 12 pillars named after 12 apostles of the Lamb. <clears throat> We're running out of time. I'm not going to finish this. I'm also losing my voice, so I've got to take a drink. But uh, let's go to the phones, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. Open up the phone lines. Uh, we hope that you're LDS if you call. We hope you're a first-time caller. Please turn down your television sets. We're going to run a spot right now. We'll come back in about two minutes, and we'll take your calls. You are watching Heart of the Matter, a live weekly television program right here from the Mecca of Mormonism. We've been on the air for almost four years now. Now, we're a tax-exempt corporation, and we survive solely on your financial support. There are two ways that you can uh, help support this ministry financially. Through the mail, 
or through the internet. Now, some people give as they can, and everything is a great blessing to us. We are so grateful for the support people have given over the years. We also invite anyone inclined to join with us in this fruitful ministry by becoming a partner. And this simply means you're in a position to contribute a certain amount annually, which greatly helps us with our planning. Be our friend, become our partner, but we do need your support if you're so inclined of the Lord and you have already given to the church. For more information, call 888-868-HOTM or 888-868-4686. Write to us at 314 South Redwood Road, Salt Lake City, 84104, or get on the internet, www.hotm.tv for more information. God bless you all. Uh, last week, applauding the audience. Last week, uh, I speak sometimes and I get my facts mixed up with names. Uh, last week I said uh, William Taz Russell. It's actually Charles Taz Russell who founded the Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, I, I said Joseph Campbell who writes a bunch of books on the power of myth. And I read so much Joseph Campbell that when I meant to say Alexander Campbell, founder of the Church of Christ, I said Joseph Campbell. And... Uh, Sidney Rigdon and Alexander Campbell were buddies. This is from our resident scholar, uh, Robert, who catches me on all the mistakes I make. So, uh, but it's very helpful and I'm, I'm grateful for it. We're going to Bill in, it just says Utah. Uh, Bill, you're on Heart of the Matter. Can't, Hello. Hey, Bill, you're on the air. Oh uh, yeah, Sean, how are you? I'm doing well, how you doing? I'm doing fine. I have a two-part question, and then I'll hang up and listen to your response. Okay. I want to know what your feeling is if you think that the priesthood was lost, and if you think that it was restored by Joseph Smith. And I'm going to hang up and listen to your response. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome, Bill. Let's let Bill get to his television set so we can turn it up. Bill, last week we covered the apostasy, the LDS claim that there is a worldwide apostasy. And you should watch that show. You can go to www.hotm.tv. You can click on that show and watch the whole thing. And I talk about that. But we are going to be covering priesthood later. Bill, the bottom line, this is just not a matter of opinion. I go to the Word and I see what the Word says. As far as a priesthood... There was no priesthood lost because there was no priesthood to be lost, okay? It, it wasn't, there was nothing needed to be restored in terms of priesthood. That has been a uh, line of the LDS church. And Joseph supposedly restored two priesthoods, one of which they aren't worthy of, of, of having, the Aaronic, uh, 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 and the other one it doesn't even exist. It's the Melchizedek, and that, the only priesthood holder of that is Jesus Christ himself. So I don't believe there was a loss of priesthood. I don't believe there was a worldwide apostasy. And therefore, I don't believe there was any need to restore any sort of priesthood to men because Jesus now acts as our high priest uh, before the Father. All right, we're going to Dan in Orem, Utah. Uh, he's LDS, he says, on line one. Dan, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, yeah, Sean, I just, uh, I just had a couple questions for you. Yeah. Um, one of the things was, um, I have a little bit of trouble with the term biblical Christianity. Uh, I guess my biggest thing is, 
um, you know, the, I guess, if you want to call it evangelical Christianity and their view on the Trinity, even though you don't find the, the term Trinity found in the Bible. And then I also wanted your opinion on what your view of, of, of paid clergy. Uh, my biggest problem is I think one of the biggest abominations currently in mainstream Christianity is, is, is paid clergy. And then also what your specific theory was on uh, the, uh, how the Book of Mormon came about. Thanks so much. Okay. Some very simple questions there. Um, let me try to go, uh, go through them. Um, first of all, the term evangelical Christianity, I use the term biblical Christianity because that uh, invokes a people that read the Bible and follow it. And I realize there's differences of opinion, so I don't try to, try to couch that in a certain denomination. I say biblical Christianity compared to Mormonism because I believe the Bible shows us the differences. Uh, as far as I don't, uh, I know evangelical is the big popular term today, but it's just a term. Trinity, I didn't understand that question. I think you linked those two together. The second question was what? Anyone? Oh, paid clergy. Oh, well, in the Old Testament, one, uh, you know, we know that, uh, that the clergy was paid always. We know that the Aaronic priests, we know that the people who worked in the temple were paid by the people. They ate from the offerings of the people. And we know that Paul completely justifies a paid clergy in the New Testament. Completely. Uh, so now, as far as abuses in that, I, that happens all the time. And, but never, ever does Paul say there shouldn't be a paid clergy. He did say, I prefer not to be in your employ so that there's no question. And there might be a higher way to go about that. If, if the people uh, were able to feed a family and house a family where the pastor served, it would be great. But there's nothing wrong. The, wor the worker is worthy of his hire. There's nothing wrong with him being uh, paid. What better, a rec what, better way, uh, what better occupation to be paid for? than somebody who was sharing the gospel. But it's not to get rich. So I think there have been abuses. Now, the LDS view of it is a complete joke in what they say because they make such a big deal that in their temples, they mock the fact that uh, preachers and teachers of the word are being paid and they have Satan paying them. And they're so proud of themselves that we don't have a paid clergy, you know, we don't get paid. And they're very uh, proud of that. But, you know, they do have a CES program where those guys live off the trough of the church. Thomas Monson is, is uh, grown heavy by eating out of the trough of the church. And he's a multimillionaire right now. And he's never had a job outside of the church. And the LDS general authorities and apostles are all in the employment of the church in terms of paid uh, clergy. And they all charge out the nose for their books. So you got the same kind of thing going on within the LDS church. It's just a little bit more deceptive. And then finally, the last question was, oh, we, uh, it's endless. It's endless. Bottom, we, we've had seven-part hour-long shows on the Book of Mormon. We will cover it soon because it's, we're in the B's. We're in the A's right now. We're coming up to the B's. The Book of Mormon is answerable. It's laughable in the way he plagiarized and took from many various uh, original sources, and we'll cover that. So I don't think there's anything magical about the Book of Mormon. I think the Book of Mormon is a plagiarized text from many different sources by a very smart man. Okay, uh, let's go to Chris and Clinton. He's a seeker, it says. Awesome. Like Seekers, Chris, you're on the air. Hello? Hi, Chris. You're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. I had a question about uh, the two Bibles. Um, the first question was, what would have been about in the King James Version, 
uh, I think the Lord said that we're all descendants of Abraham. But in the Book of Mormon, it says that we're all uh, descendants of Nephi or Moroni, and I just want to know why. The Book of Mormon's false. Oh, is that why? <laughs> yeah, that's oh. it. Oh, all right. Hey, how are you yeah. seeking? How are you seeking? What are you doing to seek, Chris? What do you mean? Well, it says here that you're a seeker on the screen. The, the caller screener said you're a seeker. How are you seeking? I'm all right. I think marijuana is involved in his seeking, first of all. Uh, are, are, you, are you going to a Christian church? Are you trying to meet uh, somebody, a, a pastor? Yeah, this? I am. Awesome. Where are you yeah. going? I'm on uh, 193. 193 in uh, Layton, Utah. Okay, all right. That's the road. Well, it's keep a, seeking. <laughs> keep seeking, okay. my brother. You take care. Bye-bye. All, right. all right, we are going to uh, Eric in Saratoga Springs, first-time caller. Eric, you're on Heart of the Matter. Thank you so much for taking my call. Congratulations on uh, 200 shows. Thanks, Eric. I was just going to ask a really stupid question. Uh, I know, supposedly, the guy looked into a hat to predict and write his book. I don't know if this is true or not. And the other part was, I also heard from people that, I guess, the Mormons have big vaults up in the canyons. And I heard that he had actually taken hallucinogenic mushrooms while he was looking into the hat to actually write their book. Do you know if this is a true statement or not? No, uh, that's a, that's a, well, maybe in the past 12 years, a recent theory, uh, because Joseph Smith was out in the uh, rural area of New York, they thought that he could have tapped into the mushrooms, and uh, that's a, a recent hypothecation about how he did what he did. But as far as looking at the hat, let me tell you exactly what happened, okay? Joseph okay. Smith and his father used to go out and look for buried treasure with a stone. Joseph would con. He was arrested and tried for doing this, and he was convicted. You can go to utlm.org to find this facts. He was arrested for conning people by pretending that he could see treasure beneath the ground, and he would tell men, dig here, and they would dig, and then he would say, no, wait, the devil's moved the treasure. You were almost had it this time. Now go dig over here. And all night long, they would run around while Joseph was telling them where to find it. With that same stone, he then used to translate the Book of Mormon. What he said was, there were gold plates, gold, buried in a hill. He went and got the gold plates, and at first he had them sitting under a blanket. And he at first would pretend like he was using them to translate, and, and Emma would record for him. Then he took the hat, and he got rid of the plates almost altogether. You never saw them again. This is recorded history. And he would put the stone that he used to pretend to find buried treasure in, and he would put his face in a hat, and he'd stare at it, and he would recite what the Book of Mormon should say. Then it got to the point where he got tired of that little prop. So he be then began to just translate the Book of Mormon by virtue of looking and speaking. And so he processionally went through, and I guess it's kind of like a magician who uses all kinds of props to keep people thinking different things. And slowly he realizes, I can just stand out there and do things with my own hands and they'll believe me. And so he lost those props over time. He always kept the seer stone. Uh, uh, they have the seer stone, supposedly, uh, in the president's office, president's vault in Salt Lake City. They still treasure it. There's pictures of it. And uh, it's a true thing. And this is how this religion came to be. 
from these sources. So uh, that's where it comes from. So I guess we uh, actually, he was the first Houdini then, right? <laughs> first, first Houdini. Yep. <laughs> this is excellent cake. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, sir. You guys have a great evening, and I hope to see more and more shows. Okay, very good, Eric. Thanks so much. We're going to Lucas in Layton, Utah. Uh, Lucas, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. You're on the air. Yes. Can you hear me? I can. Okay, good deal. Yeah, I had a question for you. Yeah. Um, it is uh, along the lines of uh, the book of Revelation. Um, just curious about, I know the LDS kind of just pull really what they want to out of the Bible and, uh, you know, only with what's in agreement with the uh, Book of Mormon. Um, what is their what is their thoughts or beliefs on the uh, on the Book of Revelation and what's going to happen with the rapture and with the Antichrist? So yeah. Another question on top of that is what, you know, what do you think is going to be their their thoughts when the rapture happens and, and they're still here? Well, uh, LDS eschatology, that's a big word for end times. It's, it's very weak. They usually don't uh, get into the book of Daniel. They don't get into the book of Revelation. They very rarely, uh, they don't believe it can really be understood. They'll pull from it and use it, but they just don't touch that. They really are um, post-trib. They really believe that by their righteousness, they are ushering in the coming of Jesus Christ, and they've always believed that. And so they aren't pre-trib. So therefore, they discount the idea of a rapture altogether. So if there were a rapture and they discount it already, they'd probably be like the rest of the world and disbelieve that all the crazy Christians went and hid in the desert or something. And, and within, I, don't, I just don't think they even consider the rapture as a viable uh, uh, esch eschatological approach to the end times. Does that make any sense? I put him to sleep. <laughs> No, no, I can hear you. I have my phone. I just can't hear you very well. So. Oh, yeah. So they don't, they're, 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 uh, they're post-trib and they're not pre-trib, so they don't believe in a rapture. And the book of Revelation, I just, they don't touch the hard stuff of the Bible. They just okay. don't. All okay. right. Well, you think, uh, you know, when this happens, what all these apostles who are, you know, they're, they're called by God. Yeah. I guess uh, along with every other lost soul that's going to be left on the planet when this happens, you know. Yeah. And that will be a real shame, won't it? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, you take care, my friend. Thanks, Lucas. Yeah, thank you. Okay, bye. We're going to Beth in Leighton, Utah. time First-time caller. She's LDS. Beth, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, uh, uh, I'm a first-time caller, but yeah. I've been watching your show periodically here and there. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I can't understand what your reasoning is to... I mean, I understand that you are a member of the church for 40 years, but does that, why do you always have to bash the Mormons? Is it because you're in Utah? Or can you, can you do things uh, to other religions, or is it just our religion? Yeah, it's just yours. Uh, uh, I see. The, the reason is, Beth, is having been LDS for 40 years, and uh, I, I know what it is about, and then I have family that are still LDS, many friends. The LDS people are very good people in their lifestyle, the ones who... But you never say that. I say it all the time. The I, all the, I ever hear is, what you, is, that, is that 
I mean, what you said tonight about the prophets up there in their in their uh, suits and stuff. It's true. It's, really, it's just ridiculous. It's absolutely true. The problem is, Beth, is you're seeing it from uh, your perspective, which I understand. I was of that perspective, but now I have both. You see, and 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 and, and I joined. Why can't you just teach? Why can't you just do your religion? Why can't you just preach well, yours? Let me ask you this: Why can't the LDS just preach theirs? Why do they know, go to the? What, do, wait, wait, wait! You asked me. Do we bash wait. other religions? Okay, wait, 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 wait! Wow, we got a mad crowd here. Wait, just listen, Beth. From the onset of Mormonism, Joseph Smith said God came to him and said, "All the Christian faiths are an abomination." that their professors are uh, void of any truth, okay? The missionaries knock on doors today, 60,000 strong throughout the world, and will tell Christians that they cannot go to heaven. They will not go to the celestial kingdom because they belong to a false cr uh, Christianity. You tell me who throws down, Beth. So nobody calls them on it. They get to say they're the only true church on the face of the earth? They get to say all these believing Christians who have given their lives, Fox's Book of Martyrs, the people who have died and given their blood, millions upon millions have died. You have a handful of Mormons who died after being uh, scaring the hell out of people. They get killed, okay, and they hold them up as like, my gosh, we're so persecuted. Millions of Christians have died, and Joseph Smith and the missionaries today say that all their beliefs are false. Who threw down first, Beth, me or them? Uh, I, I think you're, you, I, I just think you just need a little help, is all I think. I do need help. You do. You can't imagine the amount of help I need. Yep. But Thank you. Nevertheless, answer the question, who threw down first, Beth? Uh, but the things that you say, where do you get your information That's not the from? point, Beth. Who threw down first? That was your accusation. Who threw down first? Are you saying that we bash you first? Yeah. Didn't I just say that? Didn't I, I give you a... So. Didn't I give you a historical premise on how that happened? A historical premise, okay. What, was it or not? I, I, I'm sorry, I don't believe that. No. Well, of course, you're, because you believe what you want to believe, but facts are irrelevant to you, Beth. And that's oh, the that way. And so I, I come on here and we share the facts. And guess what? Every now and then, someone in the somebody in the quiet of their home hears the facts and say, you know, I have been duped by oh, this religion. And the, and the ministry works. Okay, why don't you just, why don't you talk about any other religion besides LDS? I was Mormon 40 years, Beth. I know Mormonism. Okay, well, guess what? I've been Mormon 40 years, too. And, the and you don't know that it. you say, what? half of them are not true. Give me one. Give Name one. one. Name one thing I said that is not true. You said half. Give me one. <laughs> oh, I love that laugh. <laughs> I'm such a dummy. <laughs> no, it's just Give me one, Beth. I mean, you sit up here in your I shirt. sit up here in my what? In your shirt and, and in your shirt too. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And you want me to continue Beth, to if I took this off, you you'll be so glad I sit up here in my shirt. I'm sorry. And you sit there behind your TV and you say I'm lying, but you can't give me one of them. You say I pick on your church and I give you the okay, reason why you and you cannot deny it. Where did you get your information about the stone? 
www.utlm.org. You'll read it from your own church history. Read Richard Bushman's book, Rough Stone Rolling. He'll tell you he's a member of your church. Why don't you get a library card and get educated before you make the call, Beth? Oh, that's sad. That's really sad. That's sad. Well, I won't be uh, listening to you anymore. Thank you. Oh, I'm sorry about that. I'm going to make you a promise. Beth will tune in next week. We have three minutes left, and I got to go to, uh, let's see, Lika in Kearns, Utah. Lika, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi. Hi, this is Lekka. Hi, Lekka. Yeah, I have a question. Um, well, first, let me just say God bless you for what you do. And um, from my understanding, is it true that the LDS believe that Moroni is on the top of the temple, um, the second coming when Jesus comes again, that... Uh, he will sound his trumpet, and only LDS will be able to hear it, and that they will only be the people who be who's to be saved. Is that correct? You know, I've heard the rumors of that being stated, but I haven't read that. I'll do some research and see if I can find that. Robert, do you have anything on that? No. Uh, we hear the rumors, but I we don't. I don't know that that's true. But I have heard those as a kid. You know, and Moroni is going to play Chuck Mangione. You know, <laughs> and everybody's going to run. But you know, there's their thing with angels again. We covered that last week too so don't have any information i'll ask sandra tanner and see if we can find something out i appreciate it thank you thanks god bless you we have two minutes left i'm going to keep pushing it let's go to david and ogden no let's go to ron in lancaster first time caller ron in lancaster california on heart of the matter hey how you doing sean hey doing well how are you hey i'm a former lds you know who the sunset's free it's free indeed man yeah um hey, real God. quick uh, you were talking about the priesthood earlier yeah uh, do you remember, Sean, when you got your patriarchal blessing, what lineage you, they, they told you you came from? The yeah, same one everybody, I think. I'm, I'm Ephraim. Yeah, Ephraim or Manasseh. Well, I can show the LDS, because I used to be one. In the book of Abraham, starting around Abraham 1, 23 through 27, yeah. you can show them that through, through the Egyptian, it even says that, that the uh, line through e the Egyptian pharaohs, that they cannot hold the priesthood. In verse 27 in Abraham 1, it says this, Now Pharaoh, being of that lineage, by which he could not have the right to the priesthood. Now they'll try to tell you that this has something to do with the uh, black race before 1978, but that is not true. Huh. Even if they get the patriarchal blessing, they cannot even hold the right to the priesthood based on their own scripture. Wow. Wow. Good insight there. I really appreciate it, Ron. Thank, right, thanks for watching. You. God bless you. Okay. Uh, we're out of time almost. Listen, uh, we really appreciate everybody tuning in. We have a lot of emails I should have been covering because they're very good. Uh, and But maybe we'll try to do that next week. Join us afterward tonight at Squatter's Pub. It's at 150 uh, West and uh, 300 South, downtown Salt Lake City. And just come to the back room. That's where they have a space set up. It'll be fun to meet everybody and talk. Next week, we're going to continue on with the A's. And next week, we're going to talk about the atonement, the big word that the LDS use when it comes to talking about Jesus Christ, how he atoned for their sin. And we'll talk about what that means and how what it lacks in terms of understanding the fullness of what Jesus Christ brought. So we're going to have cake and a little uh, Martinelli's right now, and then we're going to head on over to Squatters. So thanks for tuning in. We appreciate your support. God bless you all. Keep seeking for truth, and let Jesus become the Lord and King of your life. See you next week.
I'll break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage.